listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So we are in a series entitled Don't Be Fooled, a, a study, a walk through the book of Galatians. And today we're going to begin a brand new section in this book. And Paul laid it out pretty neatly for us. Chapters 1 and 2 are a section. Chapters 3 and 4, the middle. And 5 and 6, the last section. And for the first two chapters, Paul really laid the, the historical foundation for this entire letter. Remember, we've gone back to Acts several times. He talked about his conversion often. Because what he was doing, he was fighting for his authority as an apostle, but more importantly, the importance of the gospel message. And that's what Paul was after. And what we have seen over and over again is Paul proclaiming the truth about how a person begins as a Christian. We call that word justification. Justification is that moment that a sinner is reconciled or made right or justified before a holy God. How does a sinner get to that beginning? How do they get to that starting line? And justification is the beginning of a person's Christian life. And over and over, Paul has been saying justification is only through faith in Jesus Christ. But you know, there was this group that continued to oppose Paul and also his message. They wanted the Galatia Christians to believe that, yes, Jesus, but there's also something you need to do. It's Jesus plus works. So after the service last week, somebody came up to me, and they said, you know, I've got a, a question. They said, I see that mentality even today, that a person, that yes, Jesus, he does his part, but then there's these things that we have to do that really makes a person kind of all the way right. You, you, yes, you go to Jesus, but it can't just be that easy. And they said, why do you think... So many people look at it as a partnership, that it has to be Jesus and us. Well, I think one reason is that there is something in all of us that, that needs to take credit for something. We have this desire. We like to be in charge. We like creating our own way. We like willpower. And we even like to say, look at what I've been able to do. or Look at what I've been able to accomplish. But another reason I believe is that I believe deep down, people are afraid when you talk about grace the way Paul does. That we're afraid that it gives people the, the wrong impression. They think if you take off all the guardrails, when you take out all the requirements, and all you do is give people freedom, there's no way they'll act right. People will not fly right if you don't give them some law. They would say, you know what, a, a little bit of law is actually good for people because it keeps us in line. And I think so many people are uncomfortable when we talk about grace in the way Paul does. So for two chapters, we have seen Paul over and over again arguing that a person is made right with God, not based on any works of our own, 
They're only made right by faith in Jesus Christ. And we saw last week that even faith, faith is not an achievement that grants us salvation any more than works does. Rather, faith is evidence of saving grace. So the question, probably for the first two chapters, I think Paul was answering this, is how does a person, how does a Christian begin? And that's justification. So today we're going to move to that, that middle section. We're going to go to begin in chapter 3. And so if the first two chapters were on how does a person begin justification, Paul's now going to move to the idea of then how does a Christian finish? Or we would call that word sanctification. So chapters 1 and 2, how do you begin justification? Chapters 3 and 4, how do you then arrive? How do you get to the finish line sanctification. So I want to go ahead and give you the bottom line of what we're going to see this morning. That This is it. The means of beginning. Justification, Paul has said over and over, is through faith in Christ alone, period. So guess what the means of sanctification, our process of becoming sanctified or becoming more like Christ. The means, guess what? It's through faith in Christ alone, period. So this morning, what we're going to see is that you don't begin by faith and then you then kind of take over. The the gospel is the way we begin the Christian life, but Paul's going to show us that it's even more than that. It's not only are you saved by grace, but you also grow by grace. Paul's going to say that you don't begin by faith and then grow then through your works. You're not only justified by faith in Christ, you're also sanctified by faith in Christ. And you never leave the gospel behind, and you never even move beyond the gospel. So here's my hope this morning. I hope that we leave believing that we only begin by faith, that we would stand before God one day, standing on nothing other than the finished work of Christ. But that we'd also see that that's also how we finish. And that we would be in more awe of this whole Christian experience that from beginning to end is totally supernatural. So, let's look beginning at verse chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1 again. He says, Oh foolish Galatians! Exclamation point. And so Paul begins with some seriously harsh words here. He calls them foolish Galatians. Now, Paul does this because of the severity of the situation and what is at stake. But listen, Paul is not calling them stupid. He's not going after their intelligence. He's not even trying to demean them in any way. In fact, Paul loves this group of people. In fact, they're his children. I mean, he talks about them as brothers. He calls them his children. He helped establish and God used him to share the gospel. He watched them come to faith. He planted churches and he loves this group of people. So he loves and he cares for them. So I see this kind of like a parent with a child that might be in danger. And if you're a parent, you've been in that situation where maybe your young child is about to run out into a busy street. And you don't calmly say, wow, look how fast they're getting. No, I mean, you, 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 whatever you name you need to call them, you scream out, Johnny. Now, I don't, 
I don't know why we always pick that word, but Johnny, stop! You're going to do something to get their attention because of what is at stake. And that's what Paul is saying. Oh, foolish Galatians. And notice that next line. Who has bewitched you? And what that is saying, it's almost like they're acting in a way that someone has kind of like cast a spell over them. They're acting in a very strange way. You know, it's like that weird clip in that movie, uh, what is it, The Jungle Book, where Mowgli is walking through the woods and the snake appears and you know, he looks into his eyes and all of a sudden he's acting and he, he's being strange. And that's how Paul sees them. He is asking them, who has bewitched you? It's that phrase when your mother said, well, have you lost your ever-loving mind? And that's what he's going for is what is wrong with you? You are acting in an unbelievable, crazy, doesn't make sense way. Now, how then, how are they acting that is so foolish? Why is it, what are they doing that is so crazy. Well, the Judaizers, once again, they have come behind Paul. And they were teaching that not only coming to Christ, they're going to these Gentile Christians and saying, listen, you remember this? Hey, Paul means well, but he's really not giving you the whole picture. Yes, Jesus, we affirm him, but it's also that you have to do something in this. That really, if you want your salvation to be complete, if you want a greater sanctification, they're saying that God is going to do his part. You can count on that. But now you need to do your part. Now you have even heard this heresy before. It's that phrase that says, God helps those that help themselves. And man, that's just the Judaizers coming out that are saying, no, yes, God's going to do his part, but now you need to make sure you bring it on home. So they were teaching that your faith is in Christ plus works. That's how you begin. You're justified by Jesus and also your works. But they were also going to say, but that's also how you bring it home. And here's what happened to Galatian Christians. They were buying in to this false teaching. And that is why Paul is so upset. But here's why it's so crazy. As if somebody, they're acting like uh, a spell has been cast over them. Look at the last half of verse 1. So, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who cast a spell over you? It was before your eyes. That Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Meaning the message of Jesus Christ, he says, was clearly painted for you. It was clearly laid out. In fact, publicly portrayed is like a public notice. It's giving people notice. In our day and time, it might be like a big billboard that is stretched across the road. He's saying, it has been given. You have seen this. Paul is saying that the significance of the cross was vividly communicated to them. And the great thing was they accepted it by faith. But it wasn't just that Jesus was, was portrayed. Because notice Paul's real careful. He says he was publicly portrayed, Jesus as crucified. Now there's so much in this and that a Christian is not someone that just knows about Jesus. There's a lot of people that have a lot of facts and they would even say, yes, I, I know who you're talking about. 
But a Christian is not someone that knows about Jesus, but one who has seen him on the cross. Meaning that our hearts are moved when we see not just that he died, but that he died for us. And we see the meaning of his work for us. So the Galatia Christians were no longer seeing the significance of the cross of Christ for them. They were having their eyes diverted from the gospel back to the law once again. So Paul has spent two chapters trying to win their hearts back to the truth that you begin, you're justified by faith in Christ, not works. So now in chapter 3, he also wants them to see that you then finish. You're sanctified through faith in Christ, not works. So to do this, Paul will once again act like a parent. Go back to that kind of idea. Your child's about to run out into the street and you don't calmly try to get their attention. You scream out their name. Hey, you crazy kid of mine, have you lost your mind? Paul's just writing a difference. He says, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, if you've ever tried to run out into the street, you know the transaction isn't over yet. You're going to be pulled to the side, and then your mom is about to give you a list of questions. Haven't I told you not to run out into the street? You, you see that dead squirrel? Do you want to end up like that dead squirrel? You know, who told you you could go across the street? That's what she does. She yells, and she gets your attention, and then she's going to ask you all kinds of questions because you're acting like a crazy person. Well, that's exactly what Paul does. He gets their attention. Why are you acting so foolish? And he's going to ask them four questions. Look at verse 2. Let me ask you only this. And then he's going to ask four things. That's just Paul. Let me ask you this one thing, but four things really. He says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So what does Paul mean when he talks about receiving the Spirit? He's going back to how did you begin as a Christian? Did you begin by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's not questioning their salvation. That's not what he is after. He believes they are justified. He just wants to take them back to that moment and have them think about it. How did you begin? Did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? And notice he uses the word, did you receive? Now, Paul picks his words very carefully. He does not say, hey, how did you go out and find the Spirit? Or what did you do that caused God to catch notice of you? No, he says, how did you receive passive? How did you receive the Spirit? It's also interesting, this is the very first time that he addresses and he identifies the Spirit. Now, why is that important? What's important that we understand, the, or try to understand the working of the Spirit, especially in justification, how we begin, and in sanctification, how do we finish? The Holy Spirit, it convicts a lost sinner, reveals Christ to him. Justification happens when a person is born of the Spirit and then just receives New life. So the believer then is sealed by the Spirit until the glory will be revealed. And so there is so much that we could get into 
in reference to the Spirit. And we're going to have to save a lot of that for the weeks to come. But, but here's Paul's point. Paul is talking to the believers in Galatia that they had received the Spirit. They began by faith and not by works of the law. Question number one. Just tell me this. How did you start? Verse three. Are you so senseless? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? So first of all, how did you begin? Was it by faith or was it by works? So then he's going to ask, then how did you, how do you then move on? How are you being perfected? How will you finish? Now some of you may know one of our members of Bethel. He may even check your children out from time to time. His name is Rick Rogers. Rick Rogers, a great friend, been in Bethel many, many years. Uh, he's got a dad. His name's Orville. Isn't that great? Yeah, we just kind of lose some of those old names like that. Orville. Orville recently ran a race. I know we had the 5K and the 15K of the Fresh yesterday, but let me tell you a little bit about Orville. Orville, I think he's up to like 18 world records. Orville, uh, just last month, raced against a guy named Dixon Hemphill. So Rogers and Hemphill, they're competing in the 2017 Masters Indoor Track Championships. And they are about to sprint the 60-yard dash. Now Dixon, Hemphill, is the younger of the two at 92 years young. Rogers is his senior at 99 years old. So you just, you have to watch this. So, Hemphill is on the north end, on the top of the screen, but here comes Orville. Mr. Rogers coming 60-yard dash. Here he comes, right at the end. We're almost there. Finish line's coming up. There it is, Orville Rogers in the 60-yard dash, pulled it out by half a second, 18 minutes flat. At 99 years old, beat the young 92-year-old by half a second. But what was amazing is for 55 yards, Hemphill had him. But then at the end, Rogers pushed right past him uh, for that. So you need to go Google that. You need to find a little more about it. It's a great story. But here's the point. How you finish is just as important as how you begin. And Paul is saying that it is foolish, it is crazy to think that if you started by faith, that you could then be completed by works. It is not that Jesus brings you 55 yards and then you bring it home. It would be foolish to think that you could begin the Christian life by faith and then move on to spiritual maturity by your works. The means of justification and sanctification, Paul says, are absolutely the same. It is by faith. Now, this is what we need to realize, that the whole Christian life, from beginning to end, <coughs> it's all supernatural. It is beyond us. Everything about it is. So then, how, how is the means of sanctification becoming more like Christ? How is that by faith? 
We'll get to that in just a moment. So now question number three. So let me ask you this one thing. Now number three, look at verse four. Did you suffer so many things in vain or pointless? Indeed, it was in vain. He's asking them a question. So Paul asked if their suffering was for nothing. So persecution was such a natural part of becoming a Christian for many of those when Paul was writing. Kind of came with the the territory. And Paul is wanting them to think about all they had gone through and to see God's hand at work and to think about all that they have gone through during those difficult experiences and sufferings. Now Paul doesn't, he doesn't allude to exactly what those sufferings were. But no matter what they were, no matter what difficulty or or moment or even persecution it must have been, anything they went through, Paul is saying, it went through the loving hands of God's will. Whatever it was, and he says, it is not in vain. So then he takes them to the last question in verse 5. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit, so once again, the Holy Spirit It's supplied to believers. The Holy Spirit is not something we go out and and obtain or we win by our obedience. The Spirit is a free gift. So does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do all of this? Is it by works of the law or is it by hearing with faith? So the last question is, Did God perform these miracles among you by works? Because you're doing something? Or was it by faith? Well, it's interesting that what kind of miracles would Paul be talking about? And I think there's two miracles that he has in mind. Here's the first one. You could go back to Acts. Remember, it very much parallels the book of Galatians. In Acts 14, they're in Iconian. And it talks about granting signs and wonders Or in Lystra, there's this man that is crippled. He's never walked. And Paul is able to heal him. And he stands up and he walks for the very first time. So they were seeing these signs and wonders that no one could explain. But I also believe that Paul has in mind the greatest of all miracles. The greatest of all miracles is not a blind man getting a sight as amazing as that would be. It's not even a crippled man that is able to walk for the very first time. The greatest of all miracles is that a sinner would ever turn to God. And that's the greatest of all miracles, that a sinner could be able to do that. That's what Paul is saying. Did he do these things by works or did he do it by faith? So then we get to verse 6. Sometimes we're really not for sure what Paul means with this because many people are divided on where does this verse really fit? Is it the conclusion of this thought um, or is it beginning kind of the next uh, section of chapter 3? So here's what I'd like to do. We'll hit the best of both worlds. I want to touch on, I want to talk about it, but that's also where we'll pick up next week because it's vital to understanding Probably the most difficult passage that Paul gives us over the next couple of weeks. So this is how it reads. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. Now why all of a sudden does he name drop Abraham? But 
Here's the thing. It is brilliant. So the Judaizers, their, their homeboy would have been Moses. I mean, Moses was the God that everybody, a Judaizer, would have known about, talked about. Uh, rightly so. I mean, he was the leader of Israel, the one who brought the law down from Mount Sinai. He's the one that led them through the wanderings. He's the one that gave them all the instructions, the very details of how the, the tabernacle was supposed to be set up in their sacrificial system. So Paul says, great, I see your Moses, but let's go back even further than him. Let's go back to a time before the law was even given, and let's just think about how did God justify people back then? And what he does, he quotes Genesis 15, 6. So Abraham, like the Gentiles, it says he believed God, he trusted God's word, and God in turn accepted that faith and that trust, and God counted or he credited righteousness to this man, Abraham. And that important word is counted or credited. He, he put it in his bankrupt account. Abraham, he didn't go out and earn his righteousness. It was credited to him. It came from without, outside of himself. And so think about Abraham's life. Here he is, sitting in the comfort of his tent, probably enjoying a nice cup of tea. And God says, hey, Abraham, I want to show you something outside. So he gets up, he puts on his robe, and he goes outside. And God says, look at the stars. So he does. And he says, so shall your descendants be. But here's Abraham, he's childless. Him and his wife are well beyond the childbearing years. And God told Abraham, you well then, because he says, God, how's this going to happen? He says, Abraham, you will have a son. And the scripture says that Abraham believed God, despite his circumstances and only being able to see things from his limited human point of view, God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was not justified because he had done anything to deserve it. Or because he had been circumcised or because he had kept the law. Because catch this, the law had not even been given yet. There was no law to break. But simply because he believed God. And so the Christian life from beginning to end, from justification through sanctification on to glory, is through faith in Christ, not in works. We're saved through faith in Christ alone and we grow through faith in Christ alone. A Christian does not begin by faith and, you know, then take over. From start to finish, the Christian experience is totally supernatural. You know, I think we can, I think we can more easily see and believe that we begin by faith alone. That our justification is that. But I think it's harder to grasp. How do you then progress? How do you then grow in your sanctification? And we're going to talk about it in great detail over the next few weeks. But I want to show you one way that I think we, we can progress or we can grow by faith in Christ alone. This is not original to me. Um, several months ago, I, I came across this. But I had to kind of make it my own because I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And so I came up with an acronym. And this is what I believe. I believe I begin my Christian life only because God acted. 
It was not me. God revealed His Son to me, graciously saved me. I put my hope in nothing but the blood of Jesus. So then, how do I progress? How do I move forward in my Christian life? It's not by works. It can't be. But I know there are things that I'm supposed to do. But through faith alone. And so I think it can look something like this. So no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, loving or serving your spouse, parenting your children, getting along with that neighbor, serving on a a ministry team, leading a Bible study, being able to forgive someone, facing a difficult time that involves illness and death or depression, anxiety, moving, finding a new job, no matter what the circumstance or situation, I try to remember ratop. Now, it's not a biblical word. It's not even a Greek or Hebrew word. I made that word up. It's ratop. So this is how I fight um, for faith. This is what I've been trying to do when anything comes. So maybe it's something you're fight or a disagreement with a friend or a spouse and you know you need to do something or you're facing a difficult time, I retop. We're driving down the road the other day, discussing something, and all I heard was retop. So here's what it is. The first thing is to recognize that apart from Christ, I can do nothing Nothing of eternal value. I recognize my deficiency and my need for help. I I acknowledge that. I recognize my need that no matter what it is, even going to a friend and making something right or serving or, or preaching or leading a study, whatever it might be, I can't do this on my own. And then I ask for help. Ask God to provide what I need. Asking God for divine enablement, the ability to even do what I know He is calling me to do, ability to trust you. Ask God to help. And then you simply find a promise of God to trust in, and you'll always find one. You trust for God to do what only He can do. And then I obey. I try to. To walk and step with the gospel. Okay, God, this is what you're calling us to do. I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need you to help. This is the promise I'm claiming. Now I'm going to walk in obedience. And then quickly turn and praise and thank God for whatever comes. And I think that's one way. There's many. One way to progress, to grow in faith in Christ alone, not in works. Is there something to do? Yes, I have to trust I have to obey, but I can't do that on my own as a work. It, first of all, has to come through faith in Christ. So we're to trust in the gospel from beginning to end. We need to rest in the promise that Paul's going to write in Philippians where he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So I want to conclude with some words from John Stott. It was He's studying through and thinking through this passage. He says, the law, the law says, do this. But the gospel says, Christ has done it all. The law requires works of human achievement, but the gospel requires faith in Christ's achievement. The law requires works of uh, uh, demands and calls us to obey, but the gospel brings promises. It calls us to believe. 
And so the Christian life from beginning to end, from justification through sanctification, is through faith in Christ alone, not in works. You're saved through faith in Christ alone, and then you grow through faith in Christ alone. A Christian doesn't begin by faith and then take over from start to finish. The Christian experience is totally supernatural. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.